Every event brings you a deeper relationship with your beloved self and your beloved life. And boy, this is especially true for the courageous entrepreneurial adventurer. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Welcome to this week's episode of The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and my guest today is an enthusiastic and experienced entrepreneur with an MBA and four successful businesses to her credit. Andy Lyons is the founder and chief possibility officer of Possibility Partners, where she mentors startup and early stage entrepreneurs while providing tools and resources to do-it-yourself entrepreneurs launching, branding, and building their businesses. Her earlier companies include venture-backed college broadcast, a broadband media portal with over 50,000 viewers per day, Goddess Granola, a gourmet food product Andy took from recipe to manufacturing, branding, and distribution in over half the country, and Bring Back Desire, a website devoted to sharing tips, tools, and resources with couples seeking more love and sensual excitement in their relationship. Andy, welcome to the show. I am so thrilled to be here, Dr. Richard. Thank you for having me, and a big mwah and hello to all the listeners. I love that. I have to ask, and I want to start with the title Chief Possibility Officer. (laughs) I have never heard that before. Tell me about that. How did, how did you come up with that? Well, way back in 1998, when the dot-coms were flourishing and I was launching, in fact, a dot-com, I was also reading a magazine geared toward the entrepreneurial world. And I was noticing people giving themselves titles that had you know nothing to do with traditional vice president of marketing or CMO and all. They were really clever titles. So when I launched Goddess Granola, I called myself Chief Executive Goddess, and I would call on my customers, you know, the um, head of Sodexo in a major hospital, let's say, and I'd say, "Hey, I'm here to call, speak to Greg." Hey, Greg, the goddess is on the phone. And I thought that was so much fun. It really added a lot of playfulness to my experience at networking. So when I launched Possibility Partners, I knew that I would have to be the chief possibility officer. Because when I chat with folks and have conversations with folks, the thing that often comes up is they don't see the possibilities. And then I start pulling on threads and inspiring opening up their minds and helping them create the space for the possible. And there you go. And so now it's the number one thing when people grab my card at an event, they go, chief possibility officer. I go, yes, I love to help people find their possibilities. 
Dr. Richard, what happens for many folks is they have a chokehold on their life based on their mindset. And so that's in business and that's in personal. So sometimes we need that person in our life to say, hey, open up. There's more here and help them tap in to their own genius. I don't find the answer for them. I just help them create the space. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. So if you had to narrow down to one thing, what would be the number one responsibility of the chief possibility officer? For me personally, to provide the core fundamentals that one needs in running a business. And believe me, so many startup founders have the capability, but not the ability to run their business. And for me, it's bringing the nuts and bolts, but with a ton of deliciousness. So my enthusiastic nature, my inspirational nature, it's all framing the numbers, the profit margins, the cost analysis, the marketing strategy, et cetera, and helping them find the possibility for their startup and to grow it in a way that's in alignment with who they are as a leader and founder, as well as what their customers are going to be needing as well. And that is really fantastic. And I know Possibility Partners is one of your more recent ventures, but I'd like to go back in time and talk about what led you to that point. Back in 2011, I launched a platform online called Bring Back Desire. And I launched it because I had younger kids at home and I really didn't want to go out to work. And frankly, Dr. Richard, I am unemployable. I've been unemployable since 1992. And I came up with this idea because my husband and I today have been together for 31 years. And you don't make it that long in a relationship and without being able to stay tuned in and turned on to each other. And I felt, and I was absolutely called. I said no to this idea for two years. And finally, I had to say yes, the universe wasn't taking no. And so I launched it. I mean, because it's a, it's playful and tasteful, but it's talking about intimacy and it's talking about relationships. And that's really a taboo topic in our society. And I had a wonderful time learning how to launch brand and build a business online. I had not done that before. And after three and a half years of just tremendous success and really sharing great information and helping couples around the world, I was watching so many people give business advice that was absolutely wrong, flat out incorrect. And I was wondering what school they went to or what experiences they had that they felt that they could lie like that. (laughs) And it was interesting. Bring Back Desire sort of came to an end. It just sort of flowed and it was done. I'd had a great time. It's still up there serving people, but I've no longer felt called and all my businesses have called me. I sometimes refer to myself as the reluctant entrepreneur because I'm usually minding my own business when I feel compelled to do something and the ideas flow in and it's crazy. This is what happened with Possibility Partners. It just became really clear to me that I needed to serve the startup entrepreneur. And I initially started off as all walks of entrepreneurship, but as I started volunteering for local accelerator programs where I was really tuned into Uh, startup specifically because I have taken things from an idea in my head and taken it from ideation to implementation and then scaled it. I just felt this is where I can best serve 
that person. And that's how Possibility Partners came around. And also because I am an older woman, I feel that a lot of women feel like, oh my gosh, I'm 40 or I'm 50, that's it, wrap it up, we're done. I mean, we no longer have that youthful glow to our face and our time of being essential is over. And I also wanted to address that as well. Just, it's never too late to pursue the possibilities and dreams that you still have left in you. So it was kind of a combination of those ingredients to serve startups while also being a role model as uh, an older woman who is out there making things happen. And yeah, I know my social media and yeah, I know how to do things that are very current that a millennial would know how to do. You said a lot of things in there, Andy, that were very rich, but a couple words stuck out to me or a couple statements that you made. One of those that you said a couple times was being called to do something. And the other is mentioning service. You mentioned you know, serving others. Talk about how that plays a role in what you do. My core value is to enhance people, Dr. Richard. So I can do this at the checkout line. I can be talking to somebody in the line. I can be looking at the cash register person. And I just know how to shine a spotlight on their inner light and who they are. It's, it's just a gift I've always had. So for me... To serve in that way is so key. And to combine it with my love of business. I love business. But starting a business is fraught with uncertainty. So I know how important the mindset is. So I, I, I work hard in helping the entrepreneur understand that it's an entrepreneurial adventure that they're on. May not work out with this business, but boy, are they going to learn some great things to take on to the next one. And it's okay. And so being able to look and talk you know, to folks and say, I see you and I see you doing business and bringing you and your work in a way that nobody else can do and has never done before because you're so unique. That is my calling and that's how I serve people. And if while I'm at it, I can raise their vibration up a little and, and remind them that life is joyful and that enthusiasm and optimism is a state of mind. And I'm not talking about positive thinking. I'm talking about strategic thinking. And that's really tapping into what lights you up and helping you move forward. So that combined with being compelled, what can I tell you? You know, in that need to serve and help people see their beautiful light underneath their lampshade, so to speak, I have been called to do businesses that do that. And you spoke about the adventure of entrepreneurship, which I love the way that you phrased that. You know, I, I don't recall if this was Napoleon Hill who stated this. Uh, I know that I read in one of those classic books that the average business owner fails seven times, I believe, before he's or she is successful initially. Yes, Dr. Richard, absolutely. So, so many people, I mean... The level of uncertainty with a new business in the beginning is like, oh my gosh, I've got this great idea. And then you set things up and you start doing it and you've got that initial rush of people really liking it. But then you start hitting the wall after wall after wall and your family and friends are all looking at you and they can't handle seeing you struggle. 
And so they really want you to go back and get a regular job so they don't have to watch you being in pain because it makes them be in pain. And so to me, it's so important to help the business founder understand that this business that they're doing right now has its own soul life. And they're there to be the steward. It could work out. I mean, boy, we've seen businesses off right out of the gate be amazing. But more often than not, you're learning and you're making mistakes and you're failing. And and the only person who really cares about it is in your head and it's your self-talk. And anything I can do to help the entrepreneur lighten up and see this as an adventure, just like you go, oh, I want to hike that mountain and I'd like to hike that mountain. You know, you're not going to judge yourself on how well you hike it that day. You're just going to want to go hike it. You know, you've got to look at your, your business with the understanding that it's all enriching you. It's is providing the best personal development you could ever hope for because it forces you to dig deep and it forces you to build your adversity muscles, your tenacious, you know, resilient muscles that nothing else can build for you like owning a business. I don't think I've ever heard anyone use the term adversity muscles. So I want to talk about that because you alluded to this in terms of your wall, the wall where, you know, the rush is gone, you're hitting dead end after dead end, families putting pressure on the entrepreneur. How do you help people break through that? What advice would you give to somebody who's in that situation today? Well, speaking of Napoleon Hill, he has a wonderful quote, every adversity, every failure, Every heartache carries with it the seed of an equal or greater benefit. So, yes, hashtag the struggle is real. At the same time, you're growing something. So it's never going to be about it being smooth. You're going to, of course, want to implement procedures and systems to help get better at what you do. And you're going to, of course, make disastrous hiring decisions that you'll learn from and you'll learn to move slower and even then set up a 90-day review process so that in case you made a mistake, you can move that person along. There's all these different tactics that you can have as the entrepreneur. But when it comes to adversity, I try to remove the gut-wrenching, oh no, I need to avoid, avoid adversity. And this is how I set the image up. Dr. Richard, I say, okay, imagine you're making the most delicious cake in the world. Might be vanilla, strawberry, chocolate, whatever you is your favorite cake. That cake is not going to have the desired outcome if you don't have baking soda in there, right? Baking soda tastes horrible. I mean, but you blend it into the batter And now you're going to get that delicious cake. It's the same thing with all your fears, your doubts, all the problems that come. When you hit that wall and you're like, I just, what was I thinking? (laughs) Why did I do this? You have to remember pushing it away won't help. You've got to embrace it. You've got to say, hey, look, we're working together here. Let's find a way to get through this. 
It's not the end of the world if it all crashes and burns because I will be such a more knowledgeable person. I have many more talents and gifts now and that and skill sets that I can bring to whatever I do next. And maybe that next will be taking time out and going to work for someone for a while or maybe another business will come in. So it's important to understand that the adversity is like the baking soda. In order to have the most richest, delicious experience of who you are as a founder and as who you are as a person in life, you've got to have that baking soda. You've got to have that adversity. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. That was so well put. I I know, Andy, that you've been doing this for a while in terms of helping entrepreneurs and setting up businesses yourself. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned millennials and social media and that, you know, you you put in a hashtag. So you're you're quite hip, obviously, in doing this. How has the entrepreneurial landscape changed, say, in the last 20 years? Well, you know, everybody knows things changed significantly in 2008. The manufacturing jobs, the uh, cubicle jobs, I mean, everything changed. Our economy was hit hard. And even though the stock market continues to, to do well, there is so much suffering going on and people are not getting employed. In the landscape of that group of people, our folks who have the capability, but not the ability to be entrepreneurs. And this is where I truly believe that we can turn our economy around and our communities around, is giving the education and the skill set and the understanding and, uh, and the tools and resources that those who have the ability, capability to be an entrepreneur, give them the lift they need. And by doing that, they start a business and they can hire family, they can hire friends. And now you've got a way to put money back into your economy and you're having a social impact that will have a ripple effect for generations to come on a family. Perhaps it's a a, a vet um, or it's a, a coal miner, former coal miner or someone whose uh, local business left town and there's nothing left but closed up stores, but they have an idea. They just don't know where to start. This is where entrepreneurship is available to all. But specifically, what I like to focus on, Dr. Richard, are those folks who have that innate ability to lead and to take an idea, but they are missing the tools and the skill set. I just, I really believe that in every corner of our country, there is opportunity waiting. We just need to give them what they need to do it. Oh, it's so much easier to get access to money. Oh my gosh. And I'm not talking VC money. I'm talking the equity crowdfunding platforms that are out there, the crowdfunding platforms, 
the support out there for the startup. I'm a volunteer for two nonprofit accelerator programs, meaning the entrepreneurs apply and if they're accepted, they don't pay a dime. And so that's Entrepreneurship for All, which focuses on social and economic entrepreneurship. That means those small businesses that will enhance the community, the local community and economy, as well as Mass Challenge, which is, you know, big, high-tech, unicorn possible startups. And of course, Boston is a rich area for startups. But back in 1998, when we were going through the whole dot-com scene, That was, you know, everybody was spending tons of money, throwing money out the window. Today, I find that folks are running lean. They're going with, you know, the power of broke, so to speak. There's so many different ways for you to launch and brand and build your business. And now, of course, with complete worldwide access, anybody in the world can start their business from anywhere. Uh, you couldn't do that 20 years ago. So the landscape is great. And, you know, we, people understand too how challenging it is. And boy, one thing I like to focus on, Dr. Richard, is please stop the glorification of entrepreneurship. You see so many articles like, ooh, it's, it's this buzzword. Look, not everybody is cut out for this. There's a huge level of uncertainty. And if there's something you know about yourself, and that is you're not comfortable being uncomfortable, <laughs> and you, you really can't be in this business. And that's okay. <laughs> I, I think that's, that's very well said. And certainly everybody has strengths and weaknesses, but you know, the mindset of an entrepreneur, I've heard it likened to you know, being a ship at sea. And sometimes those waters are clear and sometimes it's a storm and you don't know if, you're, if the boat's going to oh tip over. Oh my gosh. I mean, and, and I tell people, you know, go out and play in traffic and see how well you do. And if you can handle that, you'll be fine. Yeah, David uh, Levithan had a great quote, and that is, the mistake is thinking that there can be an antidote to the uncertainty. There's no antidote. You are constantly dealing with new clients, new website, new products, new support team, new opportunities, new social media platforms. Everything is risky. And you have to build those comfortable being uncomfortable muscles and that and really understand that risk and opportunity are inseparable. But you can learn how to stay focused on what you need to accomplish despite these feelings of uncertainty. And that's how I hope I help people. That's really great. And I want to get back to that a little bit more, but I'm curious about something. You mentioned the difference that now the global connectivity, the crowdsourcing, there's all these different ways that people have access to money and anybody can now start a business of their own. What are the newer challenges that an entrepreneur would face now that they wouldn't have faced 10, 15, 20 years ago? Probably all the noise out there in the space. So what happens is, is you're confronted with dozens, hundreds, thousands of people doing what you do. So you have to be really clear about how to differentiate yourself. And the only way you can do that is through your brand promise. And the brand promise is your emotional connection between you and your audience. And Seth Godin, who's one of the best marketing people out there, right now he is actually starting um, a marketing program which is all about the storytelling and really understanding 
we, no one's, yes, lots of people are doing what you're doing, but they're not you and they're not delivering it the way you're delivering it. And so you have to build your brand from the heart. And Howard Schultz from Starbucks always talks about this, that, and I'll read you his quote, if you don't mind. In this ever-changing society, the most powerful and enduring brands are built from the heart. They are real and sustainable. Their foundations are stronger because they are built with the strength of the human spirit, not an ad campaign. And the companies that are going to last going forward are those that are authentic. And, ah, you know, how do you find what convey your compelling benefit and your own authenticity and and still be credible, you know, and not come off fake. And and so it's that's a struggle for a lot of entrepreneurs making that connection. And I think again, if you're not on purpose with your business, it's gonna be very difficult for you to fly with it. A lot of people will start a business because I can they can make money, which is certainly good. You want to be profitable and sustainable, but you're never going to get through the really tough times if you aren't, like you, Dr. Richard, inspired by your purpose for being in business, whether it's profit or nonprofit. And it does seem that there has been a shift, and I don't know when this shift occurred, but I feel like we're at a place now where many of the businesses that are out there do have some sort of purpose social goals, that there's something connected to it. It's not just profit anymore. And I don't know when that changed, but it does feel like there has been a swing in that pendulum. I like to think so too, although I still feel, especially for the public companies, there's two geared toward the shareholder. The most important person, I think, I mean, for a founder to focus on is the culture within their company because that will guarantee their customers will be happy and then in the end, their shareholders will be happy. So you start with your own as a founder, your own inner landscape, and then you build your company around that landscape so that you're all delivering the clear, concise, emotionally connecting, intimate, branded message. And if your employees are aligned with that mission properly, then you make sure they're very happy and feel empowered, and then boom. The, the rest of the business will, will be on purpose. And, you know, again, that's a lot to juggle. That's a lot to keep in mind while you're figuring how to make payroll and, and, and get inventory out the door. It's a lot. It's a lot. But to your point, of if you have that foundation, it's easier. Right. And I just believe so much that when you start your business, you've got to have that worked out immediately before the logo, before you, you know, I mean, you can buy your URL, but before you trademark anything and even decide in the colors, please take a moment to say, how do I want to emotionally connect with my customers? And sometimes that means doing value proposition work, which is surveys, you know, and getting so many businesses, Dr. Richard, get launched. And they are they miss the mark big time because they weren't tuned into their customers. What they can do is they can shift. And you know, that's where the uh, persistence and perseverance can come in is, oh, I gotta go over here now. Oh, I gotta make it's really knowing that there's so many different ways to get to your desired outcome. You've just got to stay flexible and you've got to listen to your customers because 
there's that 5% that will become your rock star, uh, Grateful Dead type of fans, and they will carry your message out to the world and do the work for you if you do the work right, right from the beginning. One of the things I want to ask you, you used an analogy to ingredients and, and the baking soda earlier in the show, but I want to ask you, what are your favorite ingredients or tools for helping entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Well, thank you for asking that question because it's something I feel very strongly about, and that's the numbers. I uh, am all about the data and really understanding how to manage your business, how to grow it, how to make it sustainable and profitable and, and not use your checking account to run it. Get a cash flow management tool, hire a bookkeeper. You don't need an accountant to help you understand what's coming in, what's going out, and the different what-if scenarios so that you can understand and test different ways to market um, that will work for your business and for your customers. And so to me, the, the, the cash flow management tools are really important. And also understanding how your business runs. You know, so many people think it's their product. It's not the product, folks. Your business model is the product and how well that runs <laughs> is what will make a successful business, what will attract investors for your business. So those are the things I talk about along with the mindset, how important it is that you, especially newly minted entrepreneurs, they get stuck in this employee trained paradigm and they keep seeking approval and rewards and gosh, you're never going to get them. Although I'm fond of that saying to folks, reach out and ask somebody for an ad of girl or ad of boy. But it's very tough in that regard to just say, okay, I've got to implement these workflow processes. And then I've got to learn how to step out of my business. And this is another thing that founders get really stuck. They get in their business too much instead of looking and operating it from outside the business. So those are some of the ways I work with them as well as keeping things, that mindset, keeping the chokehold off their business because it really is always the founder that stops the business in its track through their mindset. Andy, when you mentioned the business model is your product, my question is this. So obviously it's common sense. If your business model doesn't work at all, your company's not going to make any money and you're out of business. And that's data in and of itself, of course. However, how would an entrepreneur who's in the midst of running their business find out how they can evaluate and optimize their business model? Well, there's several ways. I use um, a book. My favorite, favorite book is The Business Model Generation. Everybody, if you're starting a business, go check it out. They have a very simple business model canvas. And it will take you right through every step to that you can fill out on your own. And it will help you understand who you know the key partners are, what are the key activities, the value proposition, which I can never stress enough how important that is. What are the customer segments? What are the channels to reaching that customer? What are your revenue streams? What are the cost structure? Oh, hello, what's your break even, folks? You know, things like that. And I just think, to me, that's a place. And then if you were to read 
my favorite other favorite book, Running Lean. This is based on Starting Lean, I think is Startup Lean, something like that by Eric Rice. This book, Running Lean, really helps you keep your eye on a smooth and low-cost business. I have this, one of my favorite quotes is, growing your business without spending a lot of time and wasting money. And, you know, there are so many great ideas in the book Running Lean to help you have a more successful outcome with your business. And you said Running Lean. And what was the other one with the, because I want to link to these on our show notes. Sure. Business Model Generation. Okay. I'll make sure that we have both of those in the show notes for, for listeners that they can pull those down. Yep, and there's so many ways that you can outsource so you, you can keep overhead low and and, uh, and and get things done that you don't need. Like, in the you know, 20 years ago, it was all about this big team. And now, you know, you can run lean and get things done. So I know that's one of the big things right now. I've seen this everywhere is, you know, outsourcing to virtual staffing, essentially. So how, how instrumental is that with these startups that you're working with? And what advice would you give to people in, in using those effectively? Well, first, I'd invite everybody to read a phenomenal book called Rework, R-E-W-O-R-K. It's still, to this day, it's probably been out 10 years now, a favorite in the startup community because You can even have co-founders that are in a completely different geographical location with you and have a wonderful outcome. But the outsourcing that I've seen where people virtual, I mean, okay, so some of the fancy schmancy co, you know, real, um, the high tech founders that I've worked with, they'll send coding assignments around the world. They won't even use one coder. So they'll do something in the Philippines, another thing in India, and you know, a third in South America somewhere. So, you know, they they spread it out. But for the typical entrepreneur launching something locally, definitely the bookkeeper, the you know, website person, you don't need any of these people in-house. You can um, outsource and just have it on as a, you know, someone what we call a 1099, meaning you don't have to do payroll taxes and all the benefits, etc to do part-time marketing for you, social media for you. There's so many ways. And of course, if you're a manufacturing business, you definitely have plenty of opportunity to outsource that. You don't need the capital expenditure of buying equipment and real estate to manufacture. One of the books that I'm familiar with was called Virtual Freedom. The whole book was about using essentially outsourced online talent. But it talked about potential pitfalls that you really have to know, cultural issues, that there's so many of these things that you need to be aware of before you just hand your business over. It's a strange, it was Chris Ducker. That's right, Chris Ducker wrote this book. Brilliant book, one of the best books I've read in the last 10 years. So how often do you run into scenarios where the entrepreneur begins outsourcing and goes overboard. And what are the kind of the warning signs that you need to rein back in a little control yourself? It's so important when you bring somebody on board that you have filtered them through clear expectations. Have them 
tell you back what that is, a good old Stephen Covey tactic. Make sure they hear it, make sure it's in writing, and make sure you're on a 90-day contract with the opportunity to move them along before that. Even if you're hiring an employee, please do it employee at will, 90 days, we will revisit this. Large companies can keep someone on for a year before they go, ah, not a good fit. Entrepreneurs do not have that luxury. Small business owners do not have the time for that. Where my clients run into the biggest problem is like, but I like the person. I don't want to fire them. I go, fine, I'll fire them for you or hire an HR consultant who will properly fire them for you. You must move them along and you must move them along quickly. That I think is one of the biggest pitfalls for doing virtual or for any onboarding, any employee. The owner does not make sure ahead of time that this person is in alignment with them, nor do they set the clear expectations and the reciprocity of those expectations ahead of time. Meaning this person says, well, I expect from you, startup founder, that you will do these things. Do you see what I'm saying? You don't just sit down and say, hey, this is what I want out of you and this is what I'm expecting. They need to do the same with you and and be very clear. And you have to give them that opportunity and you have to put it into writing. That's really sound advice. I wanted to, to shift gears a little bit. I know that you've had quite a lot of success doing this. I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing a couple of the most interesting adventures, if you will, in helping startups and or success stories? Well, from my own personal experience, I had never wanted to go into food. And after 9-11, there was, you know, we had a little break in everything here in America. And I came up with this recipe. A good friend of mine said, oh my gosh, I can't stop eating it. Another one said the same thing. And they said, you've got to launch this as a business. And I said, are you crazy? Do you know how hard it is to start a business? I just got through, you know, two and a half years with my last business. I'm really kind of done. And they said, no, this really has legs. You've got to do this. So I said, okay, if I can find a licensed bakery in my first phone call, I'll do it. Because you can't really, most states, you can't make food in your kitchen and sell it. It's against the law. So, of course, the first call I made, I found the bakery, (laughs) the licensed bakery, and I was like, darn. And everything flowed open from that point. And it was so exciting. It was, I was just maybe like one page ahead of the book of what to do. I mean, I knew nothing about the food industry. And it was kind of like when people have your first baby, you know how it is. You're just one step ahead in the How to Raise a Kid book. (laughs) One page ahead. And so it was the same thing with this business. But one of the the things that I did that I really felt wonderful about was that I knew I couldn't compete on the shelf with my product. And so I got certified as a woman-owned business. And through that, I was able to go through supplier diversity programs in major corporations. So I got distributed immediately as a woman-owned business and got into hotels and corporate and hospitals all around the country very quickly. And that's how you have to think outside the box. You can't be thinking of always the same old, same old on how to get your product out there. You've got to think about how to keep your margins good or your services margins good. But, you know, there is no blueprint is what I'm trying to say. You've got to think outside the box. 
And as far as my clients, you know, I'm not always free to to speak about them and their journeys. What I can tell you is that I have seen some, you know, mighty big mistakes on their part when they come to me, you know, agreements that weren't worked out ahead of time properly among co-founders to, you know, going down the wrong way in innovation and materials. And yet at the same time, I love watching them solve that problem. I, I feel like... That could be a great show title, Solve That Problem. (laughs) (laughs) There's always a solution, folks. So to me, that's some of the the successes and certainly the happy people that come as a result. And uh, those working on the idea, taking it to market, that wonderful feeling of accomplishment. I have a, a client that worked full time for years before he launched his business and he did it on the side and he was that military uh, adage that is um, slow is smooth and smooth is fast right I mean it took him years and but you know now that he's got it all worked out got all the kinks worked out it's going very quickly so it's very exciting it certainly sounds like it I want to shift back to something from a little earlier. We touched on social media. You mentioned, you know, that you have a lot of expertise in this. Talk about how social media has changed business. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you can reach people in a way you could never do it before. Again, it's a lot different from just 10 years ago in 2007. Yet here you are. You've launched a podcast. There's thousands of podcasts out there. What's going to make Dr. Richard's podcast any more different? It's because it's you and your voice and the way you're going to use social media to reach them. Social media is, there's not a, again, one blueprint that fits all. It has to be done in the brand's voice. You have to have consistency and you have to deliver again and again and again because It is consistency that builds faith and trust in you. And this includes your social media. So you have to make sure everybody is on board with the tone and the messaging you'll be using with your social media. Now, how can you use it? You have to decide, is my business a Pinterest, Facebook, and Instagram? I like to do a triangle. I mean, I personally am an equal uh, social media opportunist, but... Certain businesses should only be on LinkedIn and Twitter. Some should be only focusing on Facebook. You have to decide where your best place and space is, and then you move forward that way. But you cannot rely on it to always work. I think in some businesses, a blog is appropriate. Some, absolutely not. Uh, For me, when I launched Bring Back Desire, yet again, another business I knew nothing about other than my own long-term marriage, (laughs) I set up a podcast and that's where I interviewed experts and I learned from them between the research of the expert along with the interview process and then sharing it across the different platforms I was able to up my game. It is a great way. If you are transitioning out of a, let's say, a corporate job and you're going into a completely different industry, I think podcasts, especially interviewing experts for your podcast, is a wonderful way to grow your brand and grow your own expertise and status. And I'll tell you, for the first 
52 shows, I was a nervous wreck. <laughs> and then, you know, then it got easier. And then I went live video. I mean, there's nothing like cinematic tension on a live video. Videos, again, are a terrific way to create connection, especially for the solopreneur. And so folks can see you and understand who you are and get a bit of your energy. But social media and understanding the right strategy for you and your business. It, again, you got to step back and think about it and don't just take anybody's advice on this. Use some of your inner compass in making that decision. And you mentioned video. Video because of increased bandwidth, because of you know, mobile, because of a whole lot of reasons. Video is now everywhere and anywhere. In, in what ways are you using video to help your clients? Well, um, in my first few years of business, I had the Possibility Partner Show, and it was a weekly show interviewing experts in the startup landscape to help entrepreneurs over on YouTube. You can find it under Andy Lyons or Andy Licious Advice. How can an entrepreneur do an ebook? You know, how, from that to how do you do so to uh, manage PR as an entrepreneur? Or what are some systems and procedures you can have? Or what is equity crowdfunding? You know, that, those kind of conversations. And then I took a step back for about a year. And now I am launching my own, I call it the Ask Andy Startup Solutions. And I'm going to keep them short, Dr. Richard, you know, two to five minutes. But I will either answer questions from my followers who say, Andy, how do I do this or how do I do that? I will share thoughts. I will share tips and tools that I think are instrumental in the success of a startup. I'll do book reviews. And one of my favorite things is I interview entrepreneurs on the spot. So if I'm in a store and I think this is amazing and I say to the entrepreneur, hey, can you tell my audience a little bit about you and how you started your business and what you've been through? Are you up for that? And they go, yeah, boom, <laughs> I'll grab that, that opportunity. Uh, and so I'm very excited. I'll be launching that around May 15th, 2017. And it's really just short bites of information. Nobody's got time to listen for too long in, in my startup world. So I want to make it easy for them. But I also want to be able to help them, I don't know, hold their hand, Dr. Richard, and let them know someone's in their corner who understands how hard it is and how brave they are doing what they're doing. I was once told that the best way to learn is a baptism by fire, but it sure is nice to have somebody in the background with a fire extinguisher. It really is. I often um, position myself as that one stable person in your life <laughs> that you can be very certain of <laughs> because everything else is, you know, very fluid. Well, your new video series sounds incredible, and it will certainly be launched by the time this episode airs. So uh, we will also post a link to that in, in our show notes as well. Uh, Andy, this has been extraordinarily fun and illuminating. As you know, I like to wrap up all my shows by asking the guest, what is your biggest helping? That is the one thing that if anybody was going to walk away from the show and could only take one piece of advice, what would it be? In my opinion, Dr. Richard, life happens for you, not to you. So every event brings you a deeper relationship with your beloved self, 
and your beloved life. And boy, this is especially true for the courageous entrepreneurial adventurer. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Andy, where can people find you? Very simple. AndyLyons.com. A-N-D-E-L-Y-O-N-S. And when you land there, you'll find all the ways you can connect with me. I love hearing from folks and would love to connect on any of the platforms with you. And certainly I'm here to share whatever you've got going on in your world as well. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much, Andy, for being on this show. And for all of you who tuned in to listen to Andy's amazing episode, thank all of you as well. If you like what you heard, please go out there, subscribe to the show on iTunes, leave us a five-star review. I know you've heard it before, but it's absolutely true that the more five-star reviews we get, the more people are going to find out about this and can find a way to reach their truest potential and help make the world a better place. So thanks again for listening in. Go out there today, do something nice for someone, even if you don't know who they are. Post it up in your feeds with the hashtag MyDailyHelping or in the Daily Helping app because the happiest people are those that help others. 